Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's edition of Scouting for Growth. Today, I'm meeting with Scott Gunter, general partner of IAG Farmark Ventures, the corporate venture capital fund of IAG located in Australia. Scott has been at IAG for over 10 years and has been running the venture arm for over six years. With strong expertise in marketing, customer experience, among others, Scott wanted to bring something new to the group by opening its doors to the external world to ensure its resilience and relevance for the very long term. During this podcast, Scott and I discussed a few main points. Scott's path to CVC-LED. What does IAG Pharmac Ventures do to remain top of its game? talent, 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 and what does remote working means for Scott and his teams, and best practice for startup scale-up, corporate innovators, corporate investors wanting to build their future corporate arm. So let's welcome Scott. So hi, everyone. Welcome to Scouting for Growth. Today, I'm with Scott Ganther. So Scott is actually with us from Australia, and he will tell us a little bit more about his journey into corporate venture capitalism. So Scott, welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Sabine. So first, I always ask my my co-host to tell us a little bit more about them, about their career, why they got where they are. I know you have been at IAG now for over eight years and you've moved into corporate venturing four years ago. So please tell us a little bit more. Yeah, um, I think probably just sort of going back where I started my career is when you came from university and and you've gone back through and you've done either, you know, a, a Bachelor of Commerce or you might have been lucky enough to do a Bachelor of Technology you always sort of don't know where you're going to, you know, end up. You know, you're going to end up and maybe work in a, in a, in a, in a big accounting firm or a big consultancy firm, or you're going to work with a big, you know, corporate. You might be working in maybe uh, one of their divisions like technology or finance or the like. And I was sort of fortunate enough to actually go through and, and get a blend of both. And one of my first um, careers coming out of university after doing the usual internships that everybody tries to do was actually part of the original dot-com boom back in late sort of 99, early 2000. And I got to work with Australia's largest telco at the time. And that was pretty exciting part as they were starting to build um, what was um, broadband and, and, their, and their web presence. And, you know, going back and, and building sort of a, a new business and being part of, you know, uh, an amazing team who, you know, used to wear T-shirts and shorts to work and, you know, trying to do sprints in 90 days and get stuff back out. Like everything we hear and see and, and, and experience in startup world today, um, it, it's not new. It's happened before. It really sort of happened way back in the dot-com boom. And that's where I started. And, and I couldn't couldn't ask for a, a more impressive grounding and um, working with one of Australia's largest companies and trying to set something up. And I think, you know, these were working, you know, 90-day sprints to launch businesses and products and services and, thinking about the World Wide Web before it was uh, the World Wide Web and uh, e-commerce and, and the like, you know, 
as, as a young um, man at the time coming out of university, probably had no idea um, what the what the future was going to really hold. But the experiences of working in collaboration um, in, 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 I guess, a digital first and an innovation role, you know, that's where my career started, right? And, and the ability to do that with a, with a commercial lens, because obviously we're trying to do this to actually build businesses and obviously, you know, deliver better customer experiences and make companies money, right, at the same time. Um, when, when you're very young, you, you probably don't really appreciate um, the, the lessons that you learned at the time. And, you know, my career allowed me to continue to build on that blend of both digital technology and innovation, but also have a very, you know, strong lens to, to, to strategy and business development, sales and marketing. And it's probably a really interesting um, sort of skill set that I've always actually had is, is a combination of both those, um, you know, digital first technology innovation, but also some of those commercial and business skills. But I, but I was always a big believer in breadth and depth of experiences. So my journey actually took me to, you know, different parts of um, the world for roles, but also into different um, industry verticals to try and get yourself to, to point you up. But there's probably always an underlying passion to, to work in financial services and insurance. And like a lot of people, I've actually been now in uh, the insurance game. It's actually probably a little bit longer than that, Sabine. I've actually been here for a bit longer than now, 10 years. And uh, you one of those things that you fall into insurance. And once you fall into insurance, you stay there. And I, and I was fortunate enough once I joined IAG to get into roles of, you know, building on my skill set. You know, I, I just helped set up and run, you know, digital marketing teams and got to run customer teams and got to run, you know, some innovation teams and, and do the same things I did right when I uh, first came out of university. And it was actually about six years ago, I think now, our, our corporate VC sort of started to come together. And, and it's a little bit like insurance. Sometimes people fall into venture capital as well. And people sort of fall into corporate VC as well, right? You, you get to this situation where you're, you're thinking that you're either going to disrupt yourself or you're going to be disrupted. And I was very fortunate enough to be in an organisation that believed in this and we had some really passionate leaders that wanted to try and innovate, innovate at the edge and, and take that philosophy of, you know, you either disrupt yourself, otherwise you sort of get disrupted. And, you know, it took a little while to get our corporate venture capital unit off the ground. But, you know, for the last six years we've been going, we've now got two funds and um, we've got in our team, of, there's, there's eight of us and, you know, 150 million dollars of funds under management, 21 portfolio companies and 14 commercial agreements as a strategic CVC and, you know, investments from all over the world. And we continue to take that footprint more globally. But our, but our fundamental part around why we do what we do is to bring the outside world in to try and transform how we deliver insurance. And, and that means that every day is different um, because as you're starting to look at, you know, global macro trends or you look in different markets and see what's working or you look at different parts of the customer journey, we're working with consumers to businesses to to agri and farmers as well. Like there are no two days that are the same. So, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, I give advice to everybody, right, is going back to that breadth and depth of experiences, especially as you're starting to get to here. The more that you can experience, whether it's industry or role or function, geography, it really sort of sets you up. And um, if, you, if you look at really successful CVCs across the world, they're made up of teams that have actually got really diverse skill sets. So, so yeah, ho- hopefully that gives you a bit of insight on, on my journey, Sabine, and how I got here. Yes, fascinating. And some of the item I'd like to dive into is you already mentioned you started working on product and services in 90 days, right? What we call sprinting today, right? You try it eight to 12 weeks, it doesn't work, walk away. If it works, goes to the next phase. You also mentioned already that to build something really positive, you need to be, I would say generalist, but multi-skilled from marketing to customer experience to touching different part of the organization. 
And lastly is uh, being curious about where your path will take you. And so my question is, when you look at the group you're working with, what is the vision? What is the culture? How is it to work for a big corporate and having been able to build your business within a big corporate? Yeah, look, that, that, that is a really um, fundamental part of why CVCs fail or CVCs are successful. Um, you, you still have to remember, you know, you're part of something a little bit bigger and, and, that, and that corporate has its own purpose. And at IAG, our, our purpose is to make your world a safer place. You know, we are there to ensure customers, you know, and, and their assets and their businesses and their livelihoods and a whole heap of other different sort of risks, right? But also not just be able to insure and protect them. Um, if, the, if the incident or, or, or a claim ever happened, be there to help them to recover. So one of the big things that we have really tried to strive to do is be very purpose-driven and, and working for an organisation that is purpose-driven actually gives you something to build backwards from, but also gives you something to aim as a North Star to go all the way. So to do that, I think any CBC has to make sure that they don't feel like that they're just some little adjunct of, of some sort of corporate. They're a really integral part of their business. And as a consequence, you've got to know your business inside and out. You've got to know the business strategy. You've got to know the business's economic model. You need to know the business's different customer journeys and pain points and opportunities. You need to know, you know, what the different disruptions are. And, and, I, and I see that, especially as a corporate VC, those who are really intrinsically in tune um, with understanding the business, but also with the relationships across the business and the industry, are the ones that are probably more successful. And that's what we model ourselves on. We look at a lot of CVCs across the world and we see those who have done really, really, really well. And that's something that we actually start to, to follow as well. So as, as a corporate um, CVC, you, you start to sit there and go, we, we have to realise that our corporate in many ways is our internal customer as well, right? And and our customers' customers are, are the corporate's customers in ways. So, so we sort of always sort of think about it from those lenses as well. But what we also think is our purpose as a CVC is to actually bring the outside world in and, and transform how we deliver insurance. So we sort of have this, sometimes I look at it, sometimes we, we have this right that we actually have got this, you know, CVC that we're running. But we also have this responsibility to our corporate and, and to also our end customers as well to actually help shine a light for the future as well. So, so with a little bit of that servant leadership that we also start to think about that's required from, you know, not just myself, but also our team. And unless you really understood your industry and your customer, um, internal customer and the end customer, you wouldn't be successful for that. So, so that's probably a little bit of the secret sauce. We think we've um, been able to, you know, not, you know, we've only invented this ourselves, but we've been able to learn along the way, but also observe and spend a lot of time with really successful CVCs to see how, how it gets done. So, hey, Scott, you mentioned another key point here is looking for me at the three horizon model right? Uh, efficiency innovation, sustaining innovation, and game-changing innovation. So how do you actually split across the three? As you said, that you have an internal customer, which may want to improve processes. So tell us how you do that. Yeah, we, we, we look at it and, um, you know, we've, we've gone through, you know, you look at our horizon, you look at it, you know, whether we've got, you know, investments and activities active with the business right now, and you've got stuff which is, you know, thinking about a bit more sort of future out of I think some of the stuff that we've started to really get razor sharp on has actually been the work that we're doing in terms of like, you know, scouting the world, looking for startups with, you know, um, amazing emerging tech or, or unique sources of data or disruptive business models, whatever it might end up be that actually can help us, you know, transform how we deliver insurance. We're going to look through the lens around 
is it going to actually help us accelerate our current strategy? So if we look like our business and our business's strategy, is what we're going to do actually help them accelerate what we do? So that's sort of the first lens we're looking at. The second lens we go, well, the same ethos applies, you know, emerging tech, disruptive business models, unique sources of data. Is this actually something that maybe could actually future-proof our business? You know, that may actually end up being a little bit further out. Now, there, that actually is, is an interesting way to think about it, accelerate strategy or, or future-proof your business. But you might also take, and we look at it in, in another way as well, actually, you might invest in some emerging piece of tech and we might actually make a passive investment and we might actually say we're going to invest so we can learn and we can start thinking about what that might mean to actually future-proof our business. But at the same time, we might actually see that there's an amazing piece of emerging tech that we want to actively use right now that can accelerate our strategy. So we also have this other way we look at things. When we invest, is the startup going to be actively working with our organisation or is it going to be passive and we're going to just sort of take a little bit of time to watch and learn to go back through? And, and they can take those same things. Like we said before, that could be if you're active, you're helping to accelerate the strategy or if you're passive, you're starting to sort of like, how do you future-proof the business along the way? So that's how we're starting to really look at things right now. And um, it seems to be working because I think the other part is like, Horizon ones and horizon twos and horizon threes and then the difference goes like they, they they change every day, right? So we're we're starting to sort of see that um, as we've lowered our eyes a little bit the last sort of 12, 24 months, and what we'll probably focus on the next 12, 24 months, seriously, what are we doing to accelerate the business and strategy? Or what are we doing to seriously help future proof our business? So to drive success, you had to put together an investment thesis. And I would love for you to tell us maybe the difference between, if there are any difference between an investment thesis and innovation thesis. And second is you had to start somewhere. You had to be successful to be where you are today, right? You said the fund was built six years ago. So what are the little things which allowed you to be where you are today? And I know maybe build a second fund. Yeah, really, 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 really good question. And, and I think um, the investment thesis, you know, has to be tied to the broader innovation thesis. That's probably where they are, right? Like they're they're not mutually exclusive. That's sort of the way we sort of looked at it, right? That that's sort of again. And 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 there are parts of that, you know, you talk about, you know, you're part of the innovation adventuring function. But is innovation really a function, or is it is it something that everybody in the organisation or everybody in the world has this, you know, opportunity to do? So you know, we we sort of see that, you know, it, it's part of a broader you know, innovation um, uh, framework is probably the right way rather than first sort of function. And, you know, that innovation thesis is actually something that anybody in the organisation should be looking to try and do. Because, you know, if you're, if you're not moving forward, you're standing still. And if you're not, if you're standing still, realistically, you're sort of going backward, right? So everybody's trying to move forward. So that's how we've gone through. And when we put our investment thesis together, you know, you, you, you actually have to get quite razor sharp on, on the things that you can and can't do, right? So, you know, you might want to say, we want to invest in every market. We want to look at all sorts of different um, stages of um, startups. We want to invest certain, you know, different amounts. You have to probably get quite focused on what you can and can't do. So a really good investment thesis, if when you first get going, is to give yourself guardrails. Like you might turn around and say, we don't invest in seed stage. We don't actually lead investment rounds. You know, we may not invest into the UK and the European market in our first 12, 24 months, right? You know, there's some really big things that we didn't do just to get ourselves going, right? So, but as, as you evolve, you can actually expand your investment thesis. So, so that's sort of like um, the, 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 the rationale around that. And as we have grown, our investment thesis has changed. 
And it's changed for the better, right? Like for those things, we now do can invest in different global markets. We have the opportunity now to invest into seed stages. You know, we don't necessarily go out and lead rounds, but you know, we're participating in different ways and we've never sort of participated before. The technology and data focus areas that we look at today, you know, I don't think in our very first investment thesis, we would have gone and invested into an augmented reality company, right? Like, so there's, there, there is this evolution that you've got to be able to make to your, your investment thesis. And I think that's tied to that second question you asked about, you know, it's, it's about how do you deliver success? Like when we first started our first um, investment, it was like we invested in this crazy little uh, startup and we only made a very, very small investment. And then lo and behold, about 12 months later, it got acquired. So, you know, we started to go, how good is this, right? You've got this financial return. You've got some, wow, really cool technology and data that our business started to use. This CBC thing is really, really cool and really, really easy. And doesn't that make it a little bit, um, uh, a bit of a reality check? Because one of the things, Sabine, is you can see the first 12 to sort of 36 months, it takes time. And, and, and most sort of CVCs and VCs have that sort of eight to 10 year payoff period. But one of the things we did stick true to is we said, if our purpose is to bring the outside world in to, you know, fundamentally transform how we deliver insurance, we had to start demonstrating that. So through a lot of our investments, one of the big things that our ethos was is we invest, we connect startup with the corporate, and then we look to make mutual commercial value. And, and the way we look to start to do that is we weren't a CVC that invested in a startup and then picked the startup up and threw it over the fence to our marketing team and said, there you go, off you go and play or over to our technology team, no way. As a CVC, we've actually got a team that is responsible and they sort of play a role of like program management, portfolio management of working between as a as like an intermediary between the startup and the corporate, representing the best interests of the startup inside our corporate and also being the corporate sort of um, interface to actually work with a startup. Now, why is that important? And if we really understood our business and our customers and our distribution models and our marketing plans and our economic frameworks, et cetera, we really knew what business problems or pain points the startup could actually solve. And then as a consequence, we can make sure the startup could actually connect accordingly with the with the corporate to demonstrate success and that's the kicker if you're not demonstrating sort of mutual commercial value then you know the, the corporate will sit there and go why are we making these you know big investments why are we actually bringing startups back in you need to be helping solving a business problem or you know helping create a, a, an opportunity and we measure that success as um how we've been able to grow to fund too because once we've got our first commercial deal between the startup and the corporate the flywheel kicks in and then you get your second one and then you get your third one and you sort of get the fourth one. But that's ultimately what we look to to deliver success is, you know, how do we bring the startup in to, you know, transform how we deliver insurance? And you need to be able to connect the startup with the corporate to run tests and trials and experiments with tech to ultimately, you know, get into a commercial agreement where that tech data or business model is, is part of how we deliver insurance. So, so that's how we've done it. Um, and, you know, we're, uh, we're, 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 again, not the only ones in the world who, who have followed that framework. And you do need to, as a CVC, learn from the best and see how that works. So, and, and that's ultimately what we get measured on all the way up to our group executive and board and, and our team as well, right? So. That's super cool. So one thing which I, I picked on as well is when you put together your uh, investment basis you have to be really clear around the things you are not going to do and um, you know looking at the fintech market today i believe there was uh, something like 650 billion invested in uh, fintechs so far for the past 10 years insurtech represent around 59 billion so you are around nine nine percent of the overall number and um 
that would include as well health tech, wealth tech. And, uh, it, you know, it has to be really important when you look at this, you know, I think it's 18,000 startups which receive money. Out of that, the one we are still working out their business model is another, you know, 60,000. How do you make sure where everything you do every day is is right on target? How you eliminate the noise? Oh, look, th- this is this is the, the hardest part about being a CVC. Like, you know, v- VCs have a have a different sort of lens, right? Pure play VCs are obviously, you know, financially driven. Let's, let's be, you know, be honest. Whereas a, whereas a corporate VC, even if you're a strategic corporate CVC, you know, you do want to make sure you've got a financial gain, but you're looking for a whole heap of other variables as well. Um, and, 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 you know, when you think about, you know, typical due diligence that you might run to a typical investment, of course, you're going to look at the tech and you're going to start looking at the financials and you're going to start look at their, you know, um, people and their processes and you're going to look at their, you know, product market fit. You know, you would get all those sorts of, you know, wonderful things. Um, the two things we always go back in is 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 making sure that it aligns to that investment thesis, right? Like we we know that if straight away it knocks out a whole heap of things, right? So it's our guardrails. And what you said before is really big to what we do. It's not just what you do, it's what you don't do. And it's a really, really important part. Um, and when you overlay what I said before around that DD, one of the big things we actually realize is we're actually really investing in people. And, and you know what? So you, you can think about you might have the most amazing business, you might have the most amazing tech, you could go back through. But if you don't necessarily have great founders and great advisors and great boards around them, you know, there may actually not necessarily be a long-term pathway for success, right? But then on the flip side, you know, you may actually have some individuals who are really, really specialized in a certain domain, right? They might be a cybersecurity startup specialist and they know exactly where they may not have the commercial acumen, but they put themselves around a really good group of advisors and people that have run businesses before. So we actually sort of think that part of what that needs to go, Sabine, in terms of filtering stuff out, yes, your mandate is really, really important and the thesis goes back through, getting through all that DD, but the intangible is people. And, and that's what we actually think because the people are enduring, right? The CEO, the founder, the leadership team, the advisors, the people who are actually in the business running, you know, and it's not always the same team that started the business is going to finish the business, but it's a really, really important part. And we, we put a real over index into some of that. So let's go into super practical things. So what are your three bets for the next three years, Scott? Oh, that's... Uh... That's a challenging one. I want to give away a bit of the secret sauce along the way. Look, um, you know, I think the, the first thing is we would actually sit there and go, and you look at the current financial market conditions, and I, and I was actually reading some stuff over the last sort of couple of days around it. You know, we, we've started to over-index over the last little bit to, to look to a lot more early stage and seed stuff. And, and the realisation is because... There, you, you were rattling off numbers and the size of market. There, there's been a fair big dent right now already, right? And you've got lots of, you know, successful startups that have either been acquired, listed, or, you know, they're in the late stage. And they're doing really well and others aren't. But there's this, you know, amazing new opportunity that is starting to come back through with a lot of early stage businesses and what. And that's a big index in it that we, over indexation, we're starting to start look around, right? Like what's the next big thing? And some of that stuff actually is starting to see, um, you know, that over-indexing or that focus on seed. Now, some might turn around and say, hey, you can go into a seed company as a VC, you can write a smaller check, get a bigger equity stake, and it might offset, you know, in the future all the, all the down rounds and the valuations that have, you know, been impacted some, for some pure play VCs. But we look at it from the lens of actually there's more, you know, emerging tech to come, right? So we sort of start to look at that there. And if you look at the size, I think over the last 12 months, year on year, 
saw some stuff today, right? That the average seed round is, you know, raising about 3.3 million. So the round size is getting bigger. And what you're starting to get, it's evaluations getting larger on C stuff as well. It's, it's, it's actually probably that and the, and the A stuff that's obviously of more attraction at the moment. So we sort of see that probably a real big area and that might sound um, a pretty easy, you know, bet. But I can tell you, I think that's, that's that in itself actually requires a really good skill set. You know, you just can't say, hey, I'm going to be a seed stage CVC and just wake up tomorrow and do the job. You're going to need to have a good level of breadth and depth of experience. So, so that's, a, that's a big one that we would sit there and go. Um, the next one I think is what what's actually happened is um, the world is really now so connected, right? We, we we actually have this ability that we have a global workforce. You know, we have this ability to, you know, um, partner with a company or you know sell a product or service to somebody. You know, in a completely different part of the world. So a big bet for what we are starting to see is to think more global. You don't have to be just playing in your own market anymore. You don't have to buy products and service just sort of locally. You don't have to have talent just from the local, you know, talent pool. You don't necessarily, you know, COVID probably helped us to, to sort of accelerate that too. So big part of what we're doing is, is thinking global and, and seeing that global and, and those who are going the way. And you can see how that stitches together with the first one because what we start to sort of see is when you start to look a lot more early stage sort of stuff, it's great early stage tech businesses, great early stage data businesses, great early disruptive you know, business outside of your you know normal sort of uh, areas of interest. You've got to look there. So so that's around the second big one. I'll say it's a really one, uh, important one, and those will get that back through. And the third one is um, this ability, depending on which industry vertical you're actually in, and and, and again they tie to the first two points, is that we might be sitting here in Australia, and, and you're sitting over where you are in the UK. But we might be working in um, a very, very similar business. We might both be insurance. We might both be in banking. We might both be in telco. But the customer journey, the business problems, you know, the economic models are very, very, very similar. So one of the things we're starting to do is we're starting to think about collaboration with other like-minded businesses in the same industry because we actually realise that's going to lead to a better outcome for our, our customers because if there's an insurance company, say, in the UK that are trying to solve something and we're trying to solve it here in Australia as well, Imagine we could actually work together and we actually were able to solve the same sort of customer problem and invest in a startup that could actually solve the same problem for an insurance company in Australia and at the same time solve it for a, a, an insurance company in the UK. And we could, you know, share insights and knowledge and, and accelerate. So so to me, they're the, they're the big three things. Now, you're probably going, hey, Scott, I was hoping you'd tell me a tech trend, but I, I just want to give you something a bit different, right? And that's how I sort of see the, the success of a CVC. Yeah, early stage starting to think the world is more global and then starting to partner with other other businesses in in, in, in your industries is probably the, the biggest three things that I'd see over the next couple of years where really successful CVCs are going to go. Yeah, I mean, I, I love those three themes. You know, I wrote uh, somewhat a, a little bit around digital ecosystems and, and my belief is why try to reinvent the wheel when you can partner with others and one plus one equals 10 and you can actually focus on so your core skills and actually augment with others. Yep. And I apply that every day in my in my work and so my team. And uh, it's fun because you have to think differently. You know, it doesn't always work to start with, but gradually when you get, win the trust through authenticity and credibility, you realize that your partners are your your extension of your business and actually you can create something better together. You mentioned something very interesting to me because in insurance, I think I find it sometimes very difficult, is remote working. You said you are 
welcoming, working with people from all around the globe, from different culture, from different countries. How do you take advantage of remote working amongst your team, with your, your team members? Uh, and how do you create trust in working with others, which are in other markets? Yeah, it's a really good question. And look, maybe I was, um, you know, brought up differently to uh, to sort of start with my sort of career path. I'm lucky to be working for global companies, you know, back in, you know, the 2000, 2000 and, um, sort of stuff, right, where remote working wasn't like it was today. You know, it required a bit of energy and effort and adapting and flexibility. And um, let me be brutally honest, right, Australia is not necessarily the easiest part to be working in a global environment because you get the US and you get obviously Asia and then you start to get the European. So we do sort of sometimes go, we're probably in the worst place to think sort of globally. But I know that was something that was probably, you know, part of my DNA. So it made it for myself, you know, on, on, a, on, a, on a personal note. Look, it's just something we've always done and, and something that I've always embraced, you know, working through um different, you know, industries, different cultures, different layers of, you know, within experiences. And um, it's, it's just something that I've always, you know, had, had a passion about and think it's amazing to see, like, like we're doing right now, right? It's, it's incredible to think that you're on one part of the earth and on the other, and here we are doing a, doing a podcast together. But what I've also been able to try and do is is the team that we've actually built is, is really diverse and actually spread out. Now, it's easy to say your whole team should be located in the one city, but we're not. We've got um, folks in Melbourne, um, we've got folks in the other major city in Australia in Sydney. Um, my, my, my boss and our leader who runs our innovation venturing fund, he's in Auckland, New Zealand. And then we've got a few other folks who are actually on the ground in Singapore at our venturing team. So we sort of actually are sort of global in our own sort of Asia-Pac region where it actually is. And, and I guess that's also a way to use that as, a, as an unfair advantage as well, right? Because that actually helps you sort of span the globe and span sort of time zones and sort of be in different markets. But rather than actually, you know, um, you know, just physically sort of all being in different parts of the world. Um, you know, we, we've had folks who have actually embraced working with different areas because they've just got that inquisitive mindset. And I think that's probably something that I've always gone to, you know, building teams is something that you really can't really teach is actually that inquisitive mindset, right? Like that and, and passion are things sometimes that very hard as a leader to develop, right? You've either, you know, some people are really, and that's okay. You don't have to be a passionate person, right? You don't have to be an inquisitive person. But I guess in a global role, having that inquisitive mindset to work across cultures, time zones, industries, businesses, et cetera, makes it really, really helpful. And then if you've got people who are passionate about doing it, it's probably just a bonus. So so that's sort of a little bit how we built the the CVC. And, and that's what we try to say. We're, we're really sort of Asia pack. And uh, as a consequence, we can be really global. Global is, I think, probably part of the the game, right? If you actually want to have a richness of capabilities, uh, of thinking, and actually being able to to bring ideas from the outside and actually be at the same time disruptive. So one angle I would like to, to take you on is some of the trends we are seeing also here in Europe, where we often see buzzwords such as the metaverse, NFTs, Web3, or we also talk a lot about embedded insurance. What's your view around the insurance business model and how those trends would play within it? Because those are some of the questions which often come to me. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very, very big topic of discussion in our business. It's a very, very big topic of discussion in the industry, right? And it's not just here in Australia or New Zealand, it's right across the world. And you know, I, I think one of the things is we talk right about the start, you know, whether you disrupt yourself or you sort of get disrupted, right? Like it is it is so important. And um, 
we had we had a we had a conversation with one of our you know um, leaders who, who who's inside our business and you know was talking about a wonderful story about um, yesterday to, to some of us about that that he that he pulled a pair of sunglasses and had no idea that you know there was an embedded insurance cover already you know done at point of sale and and then later on realized that you know the sunglasses broke and then you know. Um, got a notification and went, wow, I didn't even know that there was, um, you know, insurance offered as part of when I purchased my sunglasses. I mean, part of it is becoming that it is so invisible in many ways and so frictionless that, you know, what we're sort of getting to, you're, you're getting into different niches. It's stuff that is actually really micro, that, it, that it's moving you further up the value chain. It's allowing others to actually enter the market that you've never sort of been into before. Um, but I think what you're going to do is, is that, if, that if you're not thinking about it, um, you're, you're probably behind the eight ball right now. Um, and if you're starting to do it, that's, that's great. And um, I, I would sort of sit there and go, if you fast forward sort of, you know, to, to where we might be by 2025 and sort of, you know, all the way through to the end of the decade is sort of 2030, it's probably going to be expected, right? Like as you go back through, it's going to be, you know, it, it might feel like a little bit nascent and it's, you know, just in that sunglasses analogy, there's all sorts of stuff, you know, you purchase your motor vehicle and it's, you know, already embedded as part of that buying journey, all those sorts of things sort of exist. But, you know, I, I still think that it's probably nascent by um, where it will be. And I reckon that in the next three, five, seven years, you know, it will be um, the the predominant part. And, and if insurers don't sort of catch up and, and sort of go through that, they, they are going to actually start to be sort of disrupted by those small, nimble players who are, who are going to try and, you know, offer those unique sort of offerings. So um, I, I would sort of sit there and say that embedded insurance, um, and that also allows you to move to real-time insurance as well, right? Like, so it doesn't have to be a product that's always, you know, done once a year. It can be switched on and switched off. You know, we talk a lot about usage-based insurance, you know, in the, in the motor vehicle sort of space, you know, it's based on, you know, how you drive, when you drive and like, well, why can't that be for all other products and services and insurance as well? And embedded in real-time are probably two of the bigger things that we're starting to really spend a lot of time on, but we're not the only ones, you know, some of the, the most innovative companies in the world are, are doing some incredible stuff on this. And, and and you can see all the disruptors are doing it too. So absolutely, probably one of the biggest topics. <laughs> one of the biggest topics. And uh, when you actually start looking at what you are saying, it's not only about distribution, it will probably be also about infrastructure and how you actually putting your, what I call your iOS together and uh, further. So we are going more back end, right? And we are going around that frictionless uh, statement you just made. But then you can also look at digital assets. And mm. still we are looking at, you know, what do we do with these NFTs and this metaverse and this web through? And I know we have so much other things to solve for in insurance. However, we probably need to start thinking about the opportunity because it would take us quite a few years to embed those new stuff within our insurance environment. Yeah, and 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 it's stuff that we're exploring and seeing as well. And and then I guess you always your trade offs have to be is like we said I said it before. There, you know, is, is this stuff that we're future proofing the business on, right? Because it's going to be it's going to be you know part of mainstream, you know, and um, you know, it, 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 a big portion of our marketing, you know, could end up being there. Customers may want custom service. You know, Web three will deliver different ways of you know, how we um, engage and sell and how, how, how our products are sold and how we exchange information, data and money. Like it's, it's all it's all on the, it's, and it's going to happen, right? And, and it's on the way. 
but it's a really interesting trade-off, right? So you might look at that versus say embedded insurance, right? And, and you sit there and go, okay, is Web3 in the metaverse going to be something that's really going to accelerate our strategy right now, like over the next 12, 24 months? Or is it something that's going to really sort of future-proof our, our business? And that goes back to sort of our investment thesis we talked a little bit about before. You've got to have a balanced view of this stuff. Sometimes you can over-index and you might say, hey, all we're doing is focusing on things and it could only just be embedded insurance and it could be improving our claims customer journey and, you know, it could be, you know, things that are actually helping us, you know, improve our digital buy um, for, for home insurance or car insurance. And that's really about accelerating straight. And then you miss the next big thing, right? You know, who, who would have thought that, you know, um, real-time um, sensors collecting data and connected cities and connected cars and IoT devices would actually you know, move insurance to assurance. But, you know, we, we made that investment, you know, um, three, four years ago, and we're starting to sort of see those things come through. So it's a really important part that you sort of balance out. So where we're starting to look through is with the onset of the metaverse and the onset of, you know, what will happen with enhanced and augmented reality and what's going to happen with Web3, you're going to have to make some bets. And you're going to actually have to take a few, um, you know, investments and you're going to have to spend a little bit of time, energy and effort because otherwise you won't future-proof your business. Now, that doesn't mean any of that stuff is going to always pay off to how you think. But, you know, to your point, Sabine, it's going to catch up to you pretty quickly and then you're going to be sort of left behind. So it's a really interesting way that we look at it is really those two lenses, you know, you know accelerate strategy, future proof of business. But you've got to have a balanced view and you've got to make some of those strategic bets for the future. Yeah. So listeners of, of the podcast, uh, Scott, include startups, scale-ups. Mm -hmm. They include entrepreneurs. They include other corporate venture capitalists. And I would love for you to look at those three groups and see whether you could give them some recommendation for those, you know, who are there and passionate of changing our world. Let's go through group by group. So um, you, you talk about sort of startups, right? Like, um, you know, there's a difference between startup and scale-up, right? So, you know, the, the, the scale-ups, you know, have been through this sort of journey and, and you know, uh, going through and, uh, and learning along the way. But one thing I'm really impressed with what you find out really successful, you know, startups that go through to scale-ups is they surround themselves with really strong strategic advisors and this is the most best bit of advice you can give to any early stage startup CEO is put yourself around people who have actually done this before or are really well experienced in actually running businesses or raising capital or, you know, developing product market fit. The more strategic advisors that you can have, whether they're formal or informal, it actually helps teach you lessons and actually it teaches, as you said before, it doesn't teach you what to do. It also teaches you what not to do. So my biggest thing for any startup CEO and where they're getting through, surround yourself with as many strategic advisors as you possibly can from all different parts of it. So, so that's the biggest piece of advice to be for the first group of startups. So, so which, which is the second one you'd like to go to? Which is the second group you want me to touch on? Entrepreneur. Think about, you know, yeah. the innovators within the corporate who actually needs you, right? We need a CVC well, to help you, them. You know, you know, you sit there and go, the entrepreneurs, and I talked about, well, you know, innovation, you know, nobody should actually own it as a function. Everybody should have that, um, that you know, uh, right to be able to go back through. And, and, and I gave a little couple of insights around that too. You know, entrepreneurs are really inquisitive, as we sort of said, right? They have this sort of, you know, um, want to learn and are really sort of, you know, always learning. And they've got passions for, for, for things. But it, it's very much that you need to make sure that you don't necessarily solution sell. And there's a really fine balance, right? You can bring the outside world in and you can talk about Web3 and you can go back up and maybe you're going up to your, you know, head of sales and, 
trying to tell them about, you know, how wonderful it's going to be in 2025 to sell our product on the metaverse. But, you know, the head of sales is like, hang on, I've just got to hit my quarterly target, right? You know, this stuff doesn't. So, you know, and then they just sort of get dismissed. So the biggest bit of advice you give to an entrepreneur is probably the other thing I mentioned before, really understand the business, really go and spend the time to know what the business's strategy is, what the business's purpose is, what the business economic model is, what the biggest pain points are, what the biggest opportunities are, because then you can actually start finding how you can bring those, you know, um, inquisitive mindsets and those sort of passion areas where they're going to have the best amount of success. Um, and that's sometimes what deflates in, in entrepreneurship, right, is that people keep coming back and go, hey, what about this? What about this? What about this? And it just kept getting no, 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 no. And that can make you very sort of deflated. Well, maybe the glass is half full or, or, or and maybe, you know, look at the other side of the coin. How about you actually really understand and then try and actually bring solutions that solve real business problems. And I reckon that's the biggest tip to give, you know, entrepreneurs when I've sort of seen success. So that's for the second group. And what about the third one? Where are we going to now? Other other, other CVCs and VCs? Yes. <laughs> yes. This thing isn't easy, right? So be be prepared for roller coaster ride. The the highs are, are really high and, you know, the, the the lows can be really sort of tough. And um, one of the things is you really need to be resilient. Um, you've got to actually find that throughout all of this, you, you get folks that, you know, we've seen that have gone into VC or CVC world and done such a good job and got through some of it because of luck. But I say you create your own luck too, right? A lot of that is actually things that you, you create along the way. But you need to be really resilient. You know, when those amazing things start to pay off, ride them, you know, um, try and get every bit of value out of whatever's going well so, you know, you can create, you know, more runway or more pathways for, for future success. And then, you know what, if, you know, you have a few bumpy days or a few failures or whatever, you know, sometimes you've got to take your medicine, you've got to learn from it, but you've got to get back on the horse. You've got to really be able to realise that, you know what, I'll learn from this mistake or I know what I could have done better this time and go back through because it is a real roller coaster ride. It is full of ups and downs. And the best way to try and get through the ups and downs is trying to actually just be really, really resilient. And that's easier said than done. Um, but if you have a resilience mindset to go back in, um, then I think you're uh, half a step ahead of any of the other VCs and CVCs that are out there. When you talk about, um, change, resilience, disruption, and looking at things, outside in it makes me so happy scott so what would be your last few words of wisdom to encourage and inspire the world well that's uh that's a big question you put me you put me right on the spot there um look i, I know we've sort of touched on a few different themes you know about sort of you know thinking outside and you know bringing the outside world in thinking global and you know thinking early stage and you know starting to say, talk about you know investing in, in, and surrounding with people um you know my biggest thing is just learn every day is you know a new adventure and 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 the way you can make it a new adventure is is to learn my, my biggest sort of part that i know that you know i'd love to be able to sit there these days and, and read a full book i'd love to be able to sit there and dedicate myself to you know you know dedicated training course and stuff like i, I just you know wish you had those you know the time and to go back through but micro learning is so crucial. You know, this is so important, right? So find the ways, you know, and they sound really straightforward and simple, but, you know, set up those basic Google alerts for all those things that you're inquisitive and passionate about and let the web actually curate to you all of those things so you can micro learn every morning about a certain industry, a certain business, a certain, you know, um, technology space. Um, start to sit there and think about what are those, 
you know, digital assets and subscriptions that are must subscribe that you need to actually carve out and, and sort of read um, all the way through to sort of leadership courses. You know, we, we, we stumbled onto, you know, some amazing little one. I'll give it a plug here. It was a, uh, an AI leadership coach. It was called Bunch and we found it throughout the, the pandemic. And it's two minutes a day of micro leadership learning, right? Like I mean, if you can't carve out a couple of minutes every day to learn, you're not going to get better. So, and you know what? Everybody has that ability to learn. And I think that's the the most exciting part. And um, that's probably my biggest uh, takeaway for everybody, Sabine, is you're going to make steps forward in your life. You're going to make steps forward in your career and steps forward in, in anything you do by, you know, having, you know, that that thirst for learning. And, and it's actually not that hard to do. If you sort of break it down and do it every day and try and do it as micro learning, then you, you, you're going to have a, um, hopefully a, uh, a few more highs and lows along the way, as we sort of shared before. So. You won't believe, but um, Bench, uh, the founder, Daria, used to do all the psychologic work for me during my accelerator. So there you go, world. right? So very, yeah, very small world. So it is a small world. And uh, yeah, and I uh, I did my two minutes of micro learning this morning. So uh, yeah, big shout out. But there you go. It's, it's a great and I do the same. Right? And I do the same. So it's and funny because we use the same platform. And one thing I learned also, you know, I do a lot of social media. And one thing I realized for the past probably five, six years, I've been doing social media is that I have to learn, like you said, every single day. Article I read, the things I want to share, I have to become master of my own topic. And for my team, um, I recommend to them to learn every day as well. And I invested into a platform called Udemy to actually... Ah, to give them the skill set so they all have a license of Udemy. And I just encourage them to learn. So uh, thank you for those recommendations because we have to remain continuous learner. We are in a creator economy now and we need to build our own self-resilience for the future. So where do people find you? Where do you find me? Um, you, you can grab me through IAG Firemark Ventures um, is is the, the corporate CVC of um, IAG, Australia New Zealand's largest general insurer. So um, we we are in Australia, New Zealand um, and, and Singapore, but, you know, we've got investments in, in, in all the way through to the US and, and now we're sort of going global. So you'll start to sort of see us in different circles. We're recently sort of joined in and actually become part of the SureTech UK Council. Um, and so we're starting to, you know, practice what we preach, what we talked a little bit before, and we've recently just joined up with uh, Tech Munich um, Hub as well, right? So you'll, nice. you'll be able to sort of start to see us in the UK and, and, and Europe more, and, and obviously we've got, a, you know, uh, some, some good presence with some of the co-investors in VCs and startup space in obviously the US and Australia and New Zealand. On a personal note, um, you can just find me on LinkedIn too, right? I think that's the way there's there's thousands of different ways that we can sort of connect back through and um, we'll keep the personal social profiles personal, but the uh, the business <laughs> staff definitely can sort of find us sort of on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, yeah, we can get in, in touch with IAG Finance Ventures and, you know, we're, we're part of a a bigger uh, innovation venturing function IAG known as the Firemark Collective. And, you know, we've got innovation labs and we've got a futures team and an accelerator. So, so we think that we're, we're, we've got something really unique that we're, we're doing at IAG when it comes to innovation and venturing. So at any time, um, reach out, happy to speak to anybody about anything, because as we sort of said, um, I sort of see it as well as continuous learning for myself and our team. And um, if there's something that we like to do in the industry is always giving back. Right. So we may not be able to be, an investor into a startup, we may not be able to bring someone into our accelerator lab, we may not be able to actually sit there and, you know, you know, actually do something to work with them, but we can always give advice or tips or, you know, send people and we think that's our 
our, our, our gift back to the industry and anybody that comes back through. So anybody that reaches out to Beam, always happy to connect and have a conversation. Thank you, Scott, for your generosity and for all your tip. This was wonderful. And I look forward to seeing you wherever you are in the world and hopefully we'll meet very soon. Thank you. No problem at all. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>